The demand for energy is accelerating like never before. New sources are emerging and established ones are evolving. Collectively, all sources will provide the fuel needed to support future global demand. Here on the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, we explore and learn about the people and companies solving today's problems to produce tomorrow's energy needs. Here's your host, Jose Solis. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Halliburton Labs. Halliburton Labs works with early stage companies to help accelerate their growth by providing access to operational expertise, mentorship, as well as financing opportunities as companies prepare to scale. Enter to win their weekly giveaway at HalliburtonLabs.com forward slash giveaway. Sid, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, Jose. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Great, great, great. Also, listeners, welcome back. Today's guest is Sid Gupta, and he is with Nesh. Uh, Sid, if you wouldn't mind, would you give the listeners a little bit of uh, flavor about who you are and the company? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Sid Gupta. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Nesh. Uh, We are a tech startup based out of Houston, Texas. Uh, That's where I am. Uh, We are a natural language processing company. And uh, essentially, we allow you to talk to your data by asking natural language questions to it. That's kind of in a nutshell what we do. Uh, my background is in the oil and gas industry as well. Um, I work petroleum engineer by training, worked in the energy industry for about 12 years uh, before starting Nesh. Awesome. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about, obviously, artificial intelligence, how it's impacting energy, and what Nesh is doing to help companies integrate that technology into their business so that they can be more more efficient, right? Uh, so First of all, why 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 did you go towards AI? What's your view on AI? Like, are we gonna are we gonna is it gonna be like Terminator? Are we gonna have to fight the machines soon? Like, what's <laughs> what was it? What was it that drove you to want to get into artificial intelligence? Yeah, I think it was like uh, kind of happened for a few reasons. I was I kind of stumbled into this field when I was working for my kind of previous employer. I used to work at Schlumberger in the past, and then. Uh, I would I did consulting for a few years with them and then eventually kind of transitioned into product management. And then when I was managing some of the software within Schlumberger, that's kind of where AI kind of the cross paths with my career. And I, I, I've always seen AI as a means to an end and not just a tool to kind of like um, kind of play with. It's more about like, okay, here's a problem that we need to solve. And uh, if, if there's a need for AI, let's use it. I mean, I'm sure if you saw like Tesla's uh, the AI day that they had, Elon Musk mentioned something that ML, if you can avoid it, do avoid it because it's extremely hard to do. So, I mean, sort of along those same lines, it's like, it's it's not for everything. So that's how I kind of perceive AI. So the reason I got into it uh, was because there was a tough problem that we had seen in the industry that we wanted to solve. And we kind of looked around and said, okay, well, how do we solve it? There isn't an existing tool that can do it very well. And that's where like an intersection of AI and just the general um, heuristics and science kind of help to solve that issue. So when you guys first started off, I know that you had a lot of really, you know, really big customers that were like your pilot customers, right? You guys had some really big names out there that you first started your pilots with, right? Um, what were some of the questions that like were frequently asked as you got started 
that you would say, you know, these are probably like the top two or three questions. And here's how you answer those questions about how you're integrating, how you can integrate AI into your business or Nesh. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, uh, so when we first uh, started, I mean, we, our initial kind of beachhead market was the upstream oil and gas industry. So that's where kind of our first customers came in. Uh, and uh, kind of a couple of the areas that they use Nesh for was to look at operational questions, like kind of like what is happening in my field in the last 24 hours. Oftentimes these things come in reports that are emailed to the people in the office and people in the office are buried in emails anyway, so they ignore it. So Nesh was able to kind of extract information out of those emails and then answer questions to them like, hey, what happened in my uh, field in the last 24 hours? Was there any downturn, uh, downtime that happened or any kind of like uh, events that occurred or any kind of things that I should be aware of? So this was used by like managers uh, who are looking at that field um, or engineers who are looking at that field. Another area that kind of primarily was used for was for market intelligence is trying to figure out what my competitor or what my partner or what my vendor is doing and essentially looking at publicly available info for the most part and then asking questions about it. So this was kind of mostly used by corporate strategy team within the organization or investor relation team within the organization. So those were the kind of two main camps that we started out with. And then over time, the use cases have grown. But yeah, like you mentioned, the pilot cases, those were the kind of two main areas. So since then, what is it growing? Like, give us some ideas, like what it's what it spawned out to from there. Yeah, so I mean, that's the, we've spent a kind of a lot of time uh, trying to figure out where we can solve something that is very quantifiable. Um, like, there's some quantifiable value coming out of a technology because if you're investing in a technology, of course, you want at least like two x, three x, five x, ten x return on that. So how do we do that? So we spent a lot of time in the last kind of two to three years honing in on specific areas that where we see that measurable return. And we kind of identified three main areas. So one is around operational efficiency. Another one is around knowledge continuity. And the third is around competitive advantage. Um, So operational efficiency, we mean things like looking at best practices that are used in the organization or like policies and procedures that are used. They're often just written in documents and scattered throughout through SharePoint sites or Microsoft Teams or just some sit in somebody's folder. So making all of that information accessible, then like it could be management reporting. It could also be like standards, like what is OSHA saying about something or what is API saying about something, things like that. So that's the first bucket, improving operations. The second is around knowledge continuity. This is especially important now because of like how much flux is happening in the industry today where like folks are leaving, younger people are coming in. So there's that gap being created. So how do you retain knowledge from turnover uh, or through mergers? When companies merge, there's often flux. So because of that, and then also like Nash allows you to create like a subject matter expert almost, like a virtual subject matter expert that you can ask questions to as if that employee never left. Um, so that's another area. And then the third one is around competitive advantage. So kind of similar to that pilot use case, like I mentioned, looking at the market, trying to see what your competitors are doing with respect to ESG or with respect to any M&A, doing due diligence on a company that you're looking at acquiring. So those are the kind of things, those are the three main areas that we focus on. And we have metrics that can very easily help co- companies kind of quantify, okay, 
this is how much return I can get on an investment with Nash. Have you seen any interest from the oil field service companies to utilize the technology for, for their business? Because obviously they're, they're directly connected to the operators, right? And right. so what, what's that been like? And because and, I see you saying, yes, what's, what's that been like? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, I mean, from a service company standpoint, there's a, they, they look at it in a slightly different angle too, because with any kind of uh, a, a smart assistant like ours or any kind of like question answering system or like a Google Alexa type of thing, one additional benefit that you get is you can see what your customer cares about. You can see the types of questions that they're asking. And this is very predictive of what kind of problems that customer is facing. Like if a customer is asking about a certain type of a problem again and again and again, a service company will know, oh yeah, so company X is kind of likely going to face some sort of an issue in the next two to three months. So for them, that data is extremely valuable. So that's kind of like the lens that they look at uh, partnering with Nash for is like, how can we integrate into our product stack so that we can give it to our clients and then we can kind of get a feel for what sort of things that they're asking and maybe we can help them out in a more predictive fashion rather than being more uh, um, kind of after the fact. Right. Yeah. So being proactive versus being reactive. Correct. Correct. Interesting. Um, so when companies want to integrate your technology into their business, how does that work? Because I, I know a lot of, a lot of uh, information has been documented and some of it's paper-based uh, depending on, on the company and their style. It might, a lot of it might be paper-based or a lot of it might be digital already. How do they, how do they integrate something like Nash into their business and how do you hold their hand through that process? Yeah, that's a fantastic, I mean, yes, yeah, so that, that's a good question. I mean, there are, there are, there's a, there's an onboarding process of making sure that the deployment is successful. Uh, one, we have lots of data connectors built into Nash. So like common data connectors like SharePoint, like Google Drive, like Box uh, or Dropbox or like uh, Salesforce, Teams. yeah. Yeah, Teams, Salesforce, things like that. You have all these data connectors already built in. So if you have a deployment of that within the organization, it's easy for us to connect up with that data. Then there's orphan data like you're describing, which is kind of just like floating around in the organization. It's like sitting in somebody's network drive or just in somebody's local drive. For that, you, there are a couple of ways which we can get the data uh, indexed. Is like you can email that to Nash. We set up an email address that you can forward to, or you can just like drag and drop onto Nash, or you can put it into a network drive and we can create a tunnel to that network drive. So there are a couple of different ways. So once the data is connected up, that's the first part of the puzzle being solved that we have access to that. Then the second part is like how do you how do you understand that information? Because there's a lot of terminology in that information. There's a lot of jargon. Um, there's a lot of like complex knowledge that is specific to the to that company, so that's where uh, Nash will kind of read through it just like a new employee does. Like when you onboard a new employee, that kind of like they literally flip through a handbook or flip through a PowerPoint slide to understand what this company all, is all about. Similarly, Nash learns about your organization, your jargon, your business. That takes about four to six weeks or so to kind of do that. And then after that, essentially, is you start asking questions. And you start asking questions, and it's very simple. It's just like anybody who has used Google can use it. You just type a question in a natural language form, and you start providing answers. And it's almost like a kid learning. You the the you give it, Nesh will give back an answer, and that answer could be wrong, could be right. And if it's wrong, you kind of give it a reinforcement saying, oh, no, I didn't like it. 
you give it a thumbs down and then it goes and relearns that and then comes back with a better answer next time. So there's that reinforcement uh, built into it. So the user, all they have to do is they have to keep talking to it. And the more they talk and the more feedback they provide, the answers kind of gradually get better. So that overall process is quite straightforward. We have ironed it out with our kind of like first few customers. Uh, but yeah, it takes about like six to eight weeks to get the whole process going. Has there ever been an instance where a company wanted to to utilize the service, the product, and they just weren't able to to get from from start to implementation, or from you know from from I or from yeah from you know from the desire to implementation, and, and for, if they have, what were the reasons why it maybe didn't work out? So. Uh can think about it in like two different ways. So one is that it is a cloud native application. So um, if your organization has no means of getting the data to a cloud, then it is a showstopper. I mean, that's that's not going to work out. I mean, this is something that happened to one of the customers we were talking to in the Middle East. They just did not have a Azure data center in their country. Mm. And by their rules, their data was not supposed to leave the boundaries of their country. So that was just, uh, wasn't going to happen because uh, we cannot deploy a nation on their servers. Uh, just that infrastructure is not, we are not architected to do that. So that was something that we had to kind of work around and then kind of maybe work with companies who have like an Azure or a Google data center within their, or AWS uh, within their within their country. That's kind of one um, thing I, I can think about. The other is that engagement piece that I mentioned. It's like one Nesh, one, once Nesh gets deployed, users need to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And they need to come at it with a mindset that the first few questions that they ask, they may not get a good answer for it. And we realize that first impressions matter. Right. So when you ask a question and you get a really crappy answer, there's that moment that you could turn off and be like, oh, I don't like this. Like, (laughs) what is happening, right? So there's that. And I think there's a lot of expectation setting that needs to happen that, okay, well, yeah, for the first few weeks, the answers that you will get are not going to be really good. But the more you talk, the smarter it'll get. So that's another piece that we kind of work with uh, our clients early on to make sure that they know that. But those are the two things I think can kind of either make or break a deployment. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And it's good to know because... Obviously, when companies start looking at technologies like Nash, they need to understand like what are the showstoppers or what are the things that they need to have available in place because it's a two-way street. Uh, you know, you can't just show up and it's not going to be like a magic wand. Here, I have the answers to all your problems, right? It's it's right. a process that has to take place. Right. So tell me a little bit about, or tell the audience rather, a little bit about some of the things that you guys have done on the collaboration side and maybe some of the other technologies that you might be competing with. Yeah, so on the collaboration part piece, that's a very interesting thing because uh, with Nesh, you can use our user interface. I mean, as much as I love our user interface, it looks beautiful. However, as a as a as a partner, you often have your own software, and you don't want your users to leave that UI. So what you could mm-hmm. do almost you can replace your search bar that you have within your UI with Nesh. Okay. And Nesh is kind of sitting behind that and then serving up the answers and nobody has to leave your UI. So that's one partnership angle that we pursue and we work with our partners that they could put Nesh's engine behind the scenes and she'll do the legwork in the background. Um, so we work with a couple of companies within the oil and gas industry and then also kind of like data providers in the energy sector and also in the fintech space. 
mm-hmm. uh, who are kind of using Nesh as a sort of like a backend engine to surface up answers to their users. Uh, some of them are still kind of early stage partnerships that we are uh, we are at. Um, so yeah, I mean that's how I kind of see about partnerships. It's like if you, if you want to use our UI, you're most welcome to. You can put your data behind our UI. Uh, we have this concept called power ups that you can kind of integrate with, or or if you want, you can put Nash behind your UI, uh, and then just your your users are already familiar with it. So that's that's kind of two ways in which we can do it. In terms of competition, um, so I mean the, the way I think about competition is like if you imagine like a a graph with an x-axis and a y-axis, there are there are companies along the x-axis that are kind of more horizontal players. Um, this could be like Google or Azure or AWS um, and companies like that who are serving pretty much every sector out there. Every every business is, is, is a potential client for them. Uh, and their searches are designed to be horizontal. They can search mm-hmm. everything and anything within a company. V- versus there's like vertical search engines, if you think about on the y-axis. These are companies that go deep inside the data and they focus on a specific vertical. Watson is a good example of it. Uh, like healthcare, they did a lot of work in that space. They're also doing a lot in energy as well. Then there's a couple of other companies like uh, Capacity. Like they, they do like HR sort of a, a area where they do search for HR. So that's kind of how I think about the landscape. Now, we the way we compete more with the vertical ones rather than the horizontal ones. Uh, but in the vertical space, we, the way we think about Nesh being differentiated is like we can kind of build these different verticals pretty rapidly because the way Nesh learns is almost like a human learns is reading literature and then like trying to figure out what this industry is all about without requiring a lot of handholding from the organization. So we can move from like one vertical really rapidly to another vertical. So that's mm-hmm. what we did, like oil and gas, chemical mining, uh, finance, uh, investment banking, and so on. So that's how I kind of think about the competition is we, but yeah, we compete more with the, people in the horizontal in the in the vertical space understood understood okay that's interesting so let's change gears a little bit because i want to touch on some things that your experiences as a ceo taking a business from what was a you know a, a startup now you've you've raised a little you've raised some capital and now you're starting to scale your business um what from from the time you started the business till today? Like, what are some of the things that are probably the most memorable moments in your mind that stand out? That you're like, you know, that's something that if I was a, if I was starting off tomorrow, I would want to know as a as as a founder. Yeah, I mean, I think there like there are there are lots of days that kind of like when I look back in the last three years or so, kind of like some of the memorable days that have gone by. I mean, I think of few is like i think the day i quit my job that was like a big one it's like it's memorable in kind of both ways it's like and my me and my co-founder we both kind of decided to quit our jobs on the same day right um and it was like almost like a uh, like a chicken situation it's like are we are we are we doing this and did you do it did you do it as well you're not just like bluffing are you so (laughs) so that was i think that was one i remember because one of our initial investors they told us that we can't do anything with you guys if if you don't quit if you don't have skin in the game we can't either yeah so uh, that was one day I remember, like, I mean, I think forming the team, every single hire that we have had, the day they joined the company, that's always memorable because, I mean, they bring so much to the organization. We, I mean, we are nothing without our team. Um, so kind of every single team member they have brought, that we have kind of brought on and their, their kind of onboarding process, that always is kind of, I can think about it. Uh, 
another one is like our first customer uh, when we signed them on, when we first executed the contract. Um, that was like, yeah, I mean, I, I still remember that. We popped a champagne that night. So that was, <laughs> that was fun. I mean, and then also, I mean, going from a pilot to commercial, that's another big milestone because oftentimes we just kind of stay in that black hole of a pilot and then it never goes anywhere. So when we when we went from the first pilot customer to the commercial customer, that was another big moment. Investment. I mean, if you ask any, I mean, those are the announcements that you mostly see because that's very public. But I mean, we have raised a couple of rounds of capital now. So each time, I mean, just trying to go through the due diligence process and then finally getting to the term sheet and then getting that executed. That's quite memorable. So, I mean, those were some of the biggest biggest kind of like days that I kind of think about and I look back. Um, what What were some of the questions that you and your co-founder asked each other? Um, or ask yourselves even before you decided to to take uh, anybody's investment. That's a good question. I mean, uh, one we wanted to know. I mean, because when you are when you're bootstrapping it, essentially you could walk away from it any day you want to, right? Well, when you when you have somebody else's money in the game. This is serious now. You can't you can just quit, right? I mean, this so the the biggest question that we had was like, do we believe in this idea enough that we want to see this all the way through the end? Uh, that was one. It's like uh, uh, we knew each other from uh, from before, so we knew that we were compatible with each other. We could make this work, but did we kind of have the the wherewithal and then the energy to kind of see this idea through? And and and. Jose, I mean, to be honest, I mean, the idea has evolved, right? It, we What we right. started out with Nesh is not the same what Nesh is today. It has morphed a lot over the last two years, three years. But back then, knowing what we knew back then, we still had to kind of convince ourselves that we wanted to do this. That was one. And the second thing was also like an investor is a very kind of, is a very close relationship. It's like almost like trying to marry somebody and you, you still can't, I mean, uh, it's just going to keep going uh, until the company exits. Like, do we want this investor to be on our cap table or not? This was another thing that we we also thought about. It's like uh, because it's 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 also like a two way street. It's like they are doing due diligence on us, and we are doing the same. So those were the kind of two main things that we were kind of thinking about back then. It's like once we got to a point where we were sure that he's going to do this. So what's your what what's your headcount today, and what do you where would you like to see the headcount grow to? Let's say within the next two or three years. Right now, we're 12 people in the organization. Um, mostly, most of the team is technical um, in nature. Uh, I, I, it's, it's hard to, it's hard for me to say like exactly where do we want to be because there's some of it is kind of strategic. Some, some of the growth is strategic. Some of the growth kind of follows your traction, like customer support and account management will follow kind of how many customers you have versus like technology will evolve as the product roadmap matures. Um, so, I mean, I think there there can be great products out there that can be made with a small team, uh, like Superhuman, for instance, the email company, massive company, 16 people team. Instagram, <laughs> when they got acquired, was like six people or something like that. I mean, you could really build great products with a small team. So I, I, I kind of think about it that way, too. We don't really need a huge amount of people in the product team. Maybe we'll like top out at like 2025 or so on the product side. But on the sales and the and the and the marketing and the customer support side, I'm sure there will be scale as more customers come in. Understood. 
I went on your website and I did a little bit of research uh, last night and I noticed that you have like these core values that you guys put out there, right? Um, and they're really interesting because one of them was like, you know, it's not about the effort, it's about the result. And I thought that was really interesting because, you know, that's a really fresh perspective on things because in, in especially in, in oil and gas and that segment of energy, uh, long hours, weekends, nights, nobody is, you know, that, that's something that we're all accustomed to, right? Uh, but rather what you're saying is like, you know, it's not about how many hours you put in, but it's the end result, right? It is the absolute end result. What, 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 I say, you and your co-founder or whoever within your organization, how did you come up with those, those tenants or those values and, and why is it that you believe in them? Yeah, I mean that was a that was an exercise in itself. I mean, we knew that we had to we had to set a tone for the company because what you are when you're small gets amplified when you're big. So we had to think about it early on. I mean, I I believe if I remember correctly, we kind of wrote this when we were like four people or so within the company, and it was just sort of like a kind of like a, a almost like a thought exercise to kind of sit down look at some of the other companies that we admired and then see what, what do those guys believe in. Uh, one of the companies that we looked at, I'm sure a lot of people uh, know this, is like uh, Netflix. Uh, looking at Netflix's culture deck is, uh, is almost like gospel in the tech community. Everybody reads that uh, and Zappos. Those were the two that we kind of looked at and see. And so like, what are those guys doing differently? And we, we went through their culture deck. We read through that and kind of th- thought about it. Like, how can we adapt that? Not everything applies to us. We're still quite small. What can we borrow from them? Uh, and then we kind of added our own lens and flavor to it. It's like, how can, we, how can we adapt it to what we want to be? And then that's kind of how we came up with the core values and, and the beliefs for the, for the company. Uh, but then we also wanted to make sure that we were not being exclusionary in that process because it was it's not like if you don't conform to our beliefs, you can be a part of an ish. It's more like, okay, well, what can we learn from you that we can add? So some of the beliefs that we have right now have kind of evolved because as somebody new came in, we thought, okay, well, this person operates in a slightly different way than what our team, existing team, uh, behaves. So it kind of changed. So that our beliefs list has kind of grown from like, I think we had like maybe four or five when we started out right now. We have seven or eight right mm-hmm. now, but our kind of our core values have kind of still remained the same. Out of all of the ones that you have, which one would you say is probably like the flagship one that, that sort of is the North star for the company? I think like there, there's core values. I mean, our core values are like embrace and drive change. Then there's care about everyone and then move fast, move fast, optimize and deliver greatness. The move fast, optimize and deliver greatness is kind of like the spin on the Facebook uh, thing that they have. Uh, the one that I think we, we empower our employees to be most uh, hands-on with and think about the 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 most is like the embrace and drive change. Because we, and especially now with like COVID and people being decentralized and in different locations, if you're not kind of taking initiative on your own, it's just extremely hard to make progress as a fast-moving startup. Yeah. So... Uh, like p- people kind of being autonomous so that they just need the context and they can execute on their own. That's one of the things that we try to kind of do do the most. And we know that if 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 the team is motivated, if the company is doing well, then the customers will be happy. So we kind of try to empower the team to kind of embrace and drive change on their own and then kind of think about that as like one of the core values if you had to kind of pick just one. Yeah. 
So out of all of the clients, obviously you have you know clients now, you've got a book of business. Um, who would you say if you wanted to, to throw it out there would maybe be like the, uh, the maybe ideal or not ideal, but a really great client that you guys would like to land in the next 12 months? If there's a name out there that you'd like to work with, maybe you throw it out here and, and, and somebody gives you a call next week. I don't know. But, you know, if you had if you had to, if you had to put that name out there. I mean, that's a uh, so we I mean, we have customers in a few industries like in the chemical space. One of our customers is BASF, uh, they're like a chemical manufacturing company. And and we have been working with their teams in like Southeast Asia, in Germany, and in North America. So, and they're phenomenal. Like the team is awesome. I mean, they are technologically forward. They kind of think about, they have like the exact same wavelength in which we think. They're, they've been a great client. I mean, so chemical industry is like a great space. I'm sure if BSF is a market leader, other companies like Dow or Lyndall, they all might be great companies to work with. Unfortunately, we don't work with any of them, but I'm sure if, if BSF has seen success, they, they might too. Similarly, I mean, in, in the power industry, you work with a company called Hubble. They're one of the largest kind of, in, they are in, based in Jersey. Um, they're one of the largest kind of utility service provider. They've been using Nash for like the competitive advantage use case. So anybody in the utility space like Duke, NRG, those guys uh, could be a good customer for us to land. In the oil and gas space, Shell is a client of ours. Um, again, I mean, can't talk about Shell for long enough. I mean, they've been doing phenomenal work too. But yeah, I mean, any of the oil and gas industry, I mean, we've we worked with a few more as well, but I mean, Shell is a Shell is a flagship client of ours. Um, so yeah, I mean, oil and gas industry, any of the other companies and super majors or kind of uh, majors, um, any of those are kind of companies. Like I said, there's a lot of areas where Nesh can help with, and I'm sure it can be a lot of different companies who can find um, value in it. It's just a matter of kind of having that, having that dialogue and then trying to get to a, a quantifiable value for them. So one more question for you. Um, so you sort of touched on it a little bit. And hold on. I'm losing my train of thought here for a second. Let me hit. How do you think AI is going to impact the energy industry, let's say, over the next five to ten years? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so there... I mean, as you know, the energy industry is going through like a big shift at the moment. Uh, I think AI has a part to play in there uh, in terms of like how specifically, I mean, I think the energy transition journey is is very critical. There's a lot of kind of moving parts within there that AI can definitely help out with. Uh, like for instance, like safety. Safety is a big, big thing in the in the energy industry. And we are seeing this trend already. Kind of a lot of computer vision is being used to kind of see if people are wearing hard hats or not, for instance, or uh, are you are you under uh, like a load that you're not supposed to be, or are things vibrating that you cannot catch with like naked eye? So things like that. I mean, I think safety is going to be in the in the energy transition process. Like, I think stress on safety as companies kind of focus more on like HSC. There is a part for AI to play uh, in terms of like workforce. I mean, there is a thinning workforce, and there's a lot more to do. And uh, what I think is going to happen is like as people's skill sets are kind of more flattened, because I'm seeing this trend now too that petroleum engineers, for instance, they're learning a lot more skills than just petroleum engineering. They're learning right. a lot more like about data analytics. They're learning about yep. machine learning and so on. Yep. So as that skill set becomes kind of more flattened, being able to help out all these new people who are coming into the industry 
there's that AI element involved in there too. It's like, how do you help the workforce get more done with less resources, with less 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 kind of bandwidth that you have that you can allocate? Um, um, so that there's going to be that angle uh, of how AI can help kind of like be help them be more efficient, get more answers in a certain period of time, get more tasks done. Um, those are the kind of two main things that I can think about in how how AI specifically can help. But again, we probably haven't seen the limits of AI today. I mean, we I, I think there's so much work happening in the space of AI. AI itself is so broad. There's NLP is a part of it. Computer vision is a part of it. Robotics is a part of it. And there's probably things happening that we ourselves are not familiar with. I think in manufacturing, there'll be a lot of things coming in. 3D printing will probably help. And 3D printing uses AI. We just don't talk about it because it's like the end deliverable is a 3D printer. So I think there's a lot of these kind of other moving parts where AI is sort of sitting behind the scenes and we're just seeing the byproduct of it. I think there's a lot that will come in there. Like I think manufacturing will be affected. I think upskilling will be affected. I think efficiency of the industry, health and safety, all of these will be impacted in some way or the other. That's excellent. That's excellent. I appreciate you taking the time to answer all of these questions. I appreciate the guests for coming back and checking out the show. Um, How can people connect with you and find out more about Nesh? Yeah, so uh, you can go to our website. That's the easiest way is hellonesh.io, H-E-L-L-O-N-E-S-H.io. You can find us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, So that's the best way to get in touch with us. Awesome. And before we go, I want to remind all the guests to enter this week's weekly giveaway, which is a really cool backpack from Halliburton Labs, our sponsor. And if you have any comments, feedback, please rate, review, uh, get in touch with us. We'd really love to hear from you you on anything that you want to uh, tell us that we're doing well or maybe we're not doing well or or any recommendations for future guests on the show. With that being said, Sid, Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. It was a really great interview with you. I'm really excited to see the growth of the company, how you guys continue to scale. I think what you guys are doing is super, super interesting. I think you guys have a super bright future. Can't wait for that IPO to come out so I can buy some shares. Thanks, Jose. Thanks for having us, man. It was really great, good talking to you. I, I, I hope this was helpful for the listeners as well. I'm excited to see where this goes. Excellent. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Energy Scale-Ups podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.